Part 1. What is Anti-Fragility? In modern society, with our increasing technological knowledge, we are drifting further and further away from the survival mindset of our ancestors. Our lives may seem safer and more comfortable, but we are facing more unpredictable and escalating risks, from large such as the September 11th attacks, the financial crisis, and the COVID-19 pandemic to local ones like the death of a family member or inclement weather. Therefore, successfully mitigating risks when they appear is one of the main challenges we face in society. Taleb believes there is only one tool to use against this, and that is to have anti-fragility. So, what are the specific mechanisms of anti-fragility? Where do they originate? Let's talk about this issue in detail. To understand anti-fragility, one must first understand the triad of risk in Taleb's framework. The triad of risk refers to the three different states in which things are exposed to risk, fragile, robust, anti-fragile. Fragile things prefer a peaceful environment, robust things can withstand adversity, and anti-fragile things thrive in chaos. In the case of interpersonal relationships, friendship can be fragile. If a conflict of interest occurs, one side may immediately cut ties with the other. That is an example of fragility. In a romantic relationship, two lovebirds that are obsessed with each other to the point of codependency can be indestructible. Obstacles from parents or society only makes the couple ignore each other's weaknesses and faults. That is anti-fragility in action. Family bonds sit in between the two opposite ends. Blood ties will not alter because of anything that happens, that is robustness. In reality, we can see the triad of risk in all fields. Fragility and anti-fragility are two different phases on the same spectrum. In the case of individuals experiencing significant disasters such as an earthquake, a car accident, bad luck in romance, or loss of a loved one, some will suffer from post-traumatic stress syndrome, while others will grow and become stronger following the trauma, gaining post-traumatic growth. Then, we will say that the former is fragile while the latter is anti-fragile. After learning about the triad of risk, Let's take a closer look at the mechanism of anti-fragility. There is a hierarchy of anti-fragility, ranging from low to high. Some basic forms of anti-fragility can be found in the concepts of the two medical examples of Antidotum Mithridatium and Hormesis. Antidotum Mithridatium is named after the legend of King Mithridates IV, who ruled over Pontus in Asia Minor. He went into hiding after his father was assassinated, protecting himself from being poisoned by ingesting little amounts of poison every day, just under the amount that would kill him, and gradually increasing the amount. With this grown immunity, his enemies would not be able to poison him. We can see that the immunity produced by this unique toxification method is like the modern vaccines we receive today. It's not quite anti-fragility, but it is an ancient example of robustness that is so strong it is almost anti-fragility. Hormesis, a pharmacological effect, takes a step further in anti-fragility than antidotum mithridatium. Hormesis is when a small dose of a harmful substance is beneficial for an organism, acting as medicine. For instance, plants, like vegetables have a natural toxin in them that repels invading herbivores. When we consume the right plants, these toxins can stimulate our body's development. Antidotum mithridatium and hormesis are basic, individual forms of anti-fragility. That is because the subject derives very limited benefit from them. In addition, once the external affliction exceeds a specific dose or extends to other areas, 
it will be detrimental to the subject. There is also a higher level of antifragility that is called systemic antifragility, with a wider reach and impact. We can comprehend systemic antifragility through the antifragility of humanity. Relatively speaking, each individual's life is fragile. Drastic environmental changes or sudden illnesses can debilitate some individuals or even claim our lives. But after a disaster, there are always individuals who survive and continue to procreate. In this way, the surviving individuals pass on their genes to their offspring, which then acquire traits that can adapt the environment better. As such, from an individual perspective, one person alone is vulnerable. But under natural selection, the favorable genes are preserved and passed on to future generations, so the future humans in turn become more resilient and possess a biological level of group antifragility. From this perspective, nature itself is antifragile. Even if nuclear weapons can wipe out most life on Earth, some microbes will emerge from the rubble and evolve into new life forms. Antibiotic resistance also reflects the antifragility of bacteria. While some of the bacteria are eliminated when antibiotics are applied, those that survive will become increasingly tenacious. Now that we've learned about systemic antifragility, let's revisit the hormesis concept that we mentioned earlier. You'll probably realize that it's also a kind of systemic antifragility. How so? The human body is a complex biological system. When something dangerous invades this system but loses the fight, the weaker cells are replaced by stronger ones and the body improves as a result, like chemotherapy to treat cancer. With an understanding of different levels of antifragility, let's further explore the source of fragility, antifragility, and robustness. The conflict that acts upon something and tests whether or not it is antifragile originates from a combination of volatility, randomness, and stressors. So let's think about evolution. If an animal has 10 offspring in a stable environment, all 10 of them might live to adulthood, but they might not know how to survive hardship. If that same animal has 10 offspring in an unstable environment, if, for example food is high up in trees, the offspring who can't climb the trees will die, but the stronger ones who can will live. The surviving offspring reach adulthood and have children of their own who are also strong enough to climb trees. The unstable environment makes the anti-fragile, rather than the peaceful and easy life. Here's an example from daily life which might be more relevant to you. Suppose a husband has a stable job that allows him to arrive home at 6 p.m. every day on the dot. If he is five minutes late on any given random day, his family are likely to worry that something bad happened to throw off his routine. But if that man worked at a job where he didn't have a set return time, instead coming back any time between 6 o'clock and 7 o'clock, the family won't worry as much when it is 6.30 and he is still not home. The family has gained antifragility from his irregular hours. Antifragility is better understood as the product of stress. For example, skilled workers are, to some extent, more antifragile than civil servants. Because civil service positions are generally stable, they do not have the pressure of constantly acquiring new knowledge to meet the challenges of a changing environment. For that reason, their jobs contain lower risk. Due to constantly advancing technology and knowledge requirements, skilled workers will always face new challenges, which force them to stay competitive and adaptable by learning under continual pressure. Thus, the jobs of skilled workers can be regarded as anti-fragile. 
That concludes the first part of our bookie. Let's do a brief recap. To understand anti-fragility, one must first understand the triad of risk, fragile, robust, and anti-fragile. Anti-fragility can also be divided into different levels. Elementary forms of anti-fragility include antidotum mithridatium and hormesis, while a higher level of anti-fragility is systemic anti-fragility. Regardless of the level of anti-fragility, it all stems from randomness, volatility, and stressors.